Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Genesis. My name is Paul Mumaw and I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it uh, and turn to John chapter 15, if you would. If you're going to use one of the Bibles around the room on the floor, uh, it's page 752. And uh, of course, we'll have the uh, scripture verses on the screen uh, so that you can follow along with us. Uh, how, How many of you have heard the big news? I don't know if you've heard the big news that... Ikea is coming to Fishers, right? And uh, yes, we get some claps. Uh, Corey, I'm a little surprised to see you applauding over there. But uh, uh, big news, well, old news, really. I mean, it was announced a little while back, but uh, for many of you, we anxiously await the arrival of Ikea. How many diehard Ikea fans in the room this morning. Like, I, I want to see your hand if you're a diehard, all right? Like, like you plan your vacation around visiting Cincinnati or Chicago. I mean, fooey with Disney, you'll do a whole week, right? You'll do a whole week uh, at Ikea if you can. And I got to wonder, what is it? Like, what, what is it that draws you or what is it that draws people? Uh, we're so fascinated with something like Ikea. I mean, is it the variety Maybe is it, uh, uh, is it the size of the store and just the quantity uh, of the products? Uh, is it the quality for you? Is, it, uh, uh, is that what distinguishes it? How, how many of you would say it's the meatballs? Like I, I know that for some people you visit Ikea for the food, uh, maybe for the eat bo- uh, meatballs. Here, here's what I found about people when it comes to Ikea. There's sort of this love-hate relationship, right? Uh, with Ikea, specifically their products, like things like their furniture and other items that require assembly. All right, you got that? Isn't that true? Like, do this with me. Imagine if me with me, uh, if you would, that you're at Ikea, all right, and you're walking through, and you're walking through one of their amazing stores, and you come across the kitchen of your dreams, and maybe it looks something like this. And so your mouth starts to water, right? You have all these visions of how great grilled cheese would taste, you know, coming off burners like that and eating your bowl of cereal uh, at a counter like that and how you could be so much more hospitable and entertain your family and entertain your guests. And so you love it, all right? You see something like this. It's exactly what you want, so you order it. And then a few weeks later, this big delivery truck shows up at your house, and here's what they unload in your garage. You get this boxes, right? All right, you're just left with these boxes here. It's a lovely sight, really. I mean, it's one that'll increase your blood pressure, men. I mean, if you come home and you see a sight like this and you begin to imagine how in the world will I ever take these boxes and assemble it into this kitchen that we've dreamt of. Now, the truth is that you have everything you need, right? Uh, in these boxes to build the kitchen of your dreams, but you need some instruction, right? And, and of course, it's helpful if you've got a picture too, all right, of what it's going to look like uh, when it's done, when it's all assembled. Well, before he left the earth, Jesus gave his followers a command. There's a command found in Matthew chapter 28. It's often referred to uh, as the Great Commission uh, in the church. It's Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 19. Jesus said this. He said, therefore, go. And let's just be clear that when he says these words, these are words for you and me today, all right? If, you, if you've put your faith in Christ, all right, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, I mean, to be a part of Genesis Church, I mean, he, Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago, but they're still true. They're still our commission, our mandate, all right, our directive as followers of Christ today, and not just for the few, all right, not just for for those of you who have some time or have some margin or care to go a little overboard with your faith. Uh, This command, this mission here is for all people, all right, every Christ follower today, every one of you who has put your trust in Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, go now and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And he said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples. So you know it's important, right? All right, we know it's important if it's one of the last things, but in a lot of ways, when you think about it, the Great Commission is a lot like a, a pile of Ikea boxes, you know, lying on your garage floor. Because where do you start? Where, where do you even begin to work towards something like this? How do, you, how do you even begin to pull something like this off? Well, that's why we're starting this brand new series today, a series that we're calling Profile, you know? The profile, the qualities of a mature disciple. A profile is defined as an outline of something, uh, like the outline of someone's face. But it can also mean a, a brief description that provides information for us uh, about someone or, or about something. And so that's the big idea of this series. Our goal is, by the end of these seven weeks, we want to provide a brief description or really a profile, an outline of what a disciple is. Like, what did Jesus mean? Like, what was he aiming for? What, what picture, what vision did he have in mind when he invited us to become his disciples? And what does that mean for us as we go out and attempt to make disciples other, of other people? Now, let me tell you why this is important for our church. Let me tell you why we're asking our groups to follow along in this series and why I hope that you'll make it a priority, that you'll make it really make it a priority to be here with us over these next seven weeks together. Because so much of what we talk about these next seven weeks is going to influence from this day forward the way that we do ministry. All right, it's going to impact what we prioritize as a church. It's going to, uh, it's going to have everything to do with how we help people grow, how we help our kids grow, and what our students are growing into, and what we want to grow into as adults, as followers of Jesus for years to come. And with this series, we're going to introduce some language uh, that we want everyone to learn and to understand. I'd go as far to say this, that in my eight years of ministry at Genesis Church, I believe this may be one of the most important series that we've ever done, that we're going to walk through together. And here's the encouraging news for those of you that are new today. I mean, especially if this is your first Sunday or if maybe you've been coming a short time with us, this is an excellent time uh, for you to be here and to, to get to know Genesis Church. You're going to get really, over the next few weeks, you're going to get a really good picture uh, of what's important to us as a church and what we want to see God do in our lives, what we want to see God do in our church, and what he can do in your life too. And the difference that he wants to make with your life and how he wants to use you to make disciples in this world. And where's this insight and direction going to come from for us? Well, over the next seven weeks, we're going to spend time in the first four books of the New Testament. We often refer to these as the Gospels. Uh, searching for evidence, trying to understand what Jesus meant when he used the word disciple. Because here's the thing. There are all kinds of opinions out there today of what, of what it means to call yourself a Christian. All right? All different pictures and interpretations of what it means uh, to call yourself a Christian. And depending on your upbringing, uh, you, you may believe that it has something to do with whether or not you go to church or what kind of a church you attend or how often you attend. You maybe, maybe for you or someone that you know, it has everything to do with how you worship. And, or, or maybe it has to do with your opinion on, on social justice issues or your feelings on things like money or tithing or spiritual gifts, whatever. And it's not that these things don't matter, all right? But what did Jesus have in mind for us? All right, what was he aiming for? I mean, over 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, go now and make disciples, baptize them, all right, teach them everything that I've taught you, what was Jesus thinking? What was he after? What was he dreaming about? Let me ask you this. If you were one of those disciples standing there with Jesus on that day, what would you be thinking? 
I mean, would you understand what Jesus meant? I would put forth that those disciples knew exactly what Jesus meant on that day because they had experienced it. They had spent the last three and a half years with Jesus, learning from him, growing with him. They, they, they weren't the same. They, they, they weren't the same in the way that they spent their time, the, the way they were going to use their gifts from this day forward. Their entire outlook on life, they would never again be the same, never again approach life the same way. And 2,000 years later, we don't have the same opportunity that they did to learn and ask from Jesus in the same manner that these disciples were able to. But I do believe that we can better understand the picture, the vision, the profile of what Jesus wants us to become and what he wants to produce in us so that we can reproduce that in other people. In fact, there are so many places where we could look to where Jesus talks about what it means to be a disciple, but we probably see the most complete description in John chapter 15. And uh, let me help you understand why. How, how many of you have read the book, uh, The Last Lecture by Randy Posh, or maybe ever come across uh, this book before? Uh, the, the book was a New York Times bestseller for something like 112 weeks. Uh, it's been translated into 48 different languages, sold more than 5 million copies uh, in the U.S. It's based on an actual lecture uh, given by Posh, a computer science professor at the time at Carnegie Mellon University, and just a couple of months after he was diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer. And the idea uh, was part of a lecture series where academics were asked to think about this, all right, and therefore uh, really the theme of this book. And that is that what wisdom would you impart on your students or on your listeners if you knew that it was your last chance? All right, these are the last words, and you've got to choose them wisely. What is it that you would share that you will leave with them? Well, John 15 is one of Jesus' final opportunities to teach his disciples before he goes to the cross, all right? Because it's this very night in John 15 that Jesus is gonna be betrayed and arrested. He'll be tried and crucified the following day. And so this is his last chance to give his disciples these instructions. And so think last sermon, if you would. Think last lecture or think about it from your vantage point. Like what if you were to discover that you only had a few days or a a few hours to live. I mean, what would you tell your family? Uh, what, what would you say to those who are closest to you? What would you say to your kids? I, I bet you wouldn't remind them to turn off the light, you know, every time they, they leave their bedroom, all right? No, it's going to be the most important things that you want them to remember, right? Well, that's the situation with Jesus. He's close to death here. He's been investing in these men and women for the past three and a half years. And so it's here that Jesus gives us his most complete definition of what a mature disciple looks like. It's the summary of everything that he's taught as he has spent this time together. They're learning from him. And in John 15, 8, this is a verse that we're going to spend a lot of time with over these next seven weeks. Jesus says this. Let's pick it up. John 15, verse 8. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory. Basically, hey, you want to know what gets my Father's attention? You want to know what impresses God? He says that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, this is an incredibly simple verse. All right, it's easy to read, easy to memorize. I'd challenge you to memorize this verse if you would, but there's a whole lot packed into it. Specifically, there are three phrases, all right, that provide for us a profile of a disciple and, and really help define the qualities of a mature, mature disciple that Jesus was aiming for, that we want to aim for with our lives and for others too. And so let's start with that last uh, phrase first, all right? If you would, looking at this passage, the last phrase first, Jesus says, showing yourselves 
to be my disciples. Now, the word disciple means student, it means uh, learner, it means follower. And in Jesus' day, all right, a disciple would follow his rabbi around and pattern his life after a rabbi's life. Like even today, all right, if you visit Israel, all right, there's a really good chance that you'll come across a scene like this, all right? You might observe a rabbi who is surrounded by his students, all right, his disciples, his, his Talmudim. All right, and so this is here, right here is where we get our first characteristic of a mature, a mature disciple. This is, again, something that Jesus wants for each of us, all right, and, and for every person who comes to Christ. The first thing is this, if you're taking notes, a, a mature disciple follows Jesus, all right, plain and simple. A, a mature disciple sets the aim, sets the course of their life on following Jesus and everything. Jesus said, showing yourselves to be my disciples. A disciple uh, makes a living like Jesus, all right? The number one priority in life. In every situation, in all circumstances, they pattern their life after Jesus. Think about the people that we pattern our lives after today, all right? Maybe you've got somebody in your uh, career uh, line that you're in, uh, somebody, uh, an example in your career field that you look to, all right? You want to model your life and your work after them. If you're an athlete, maybe there's an athlete that you look up to to in your particular sport. Maybe there's a, a parent in your life or maybe someone uh, significant in your family. You say, you know what, I, I want to be like them. I want to live my life like them. And if not a person, maybe it's something like a diet, all right? And so that diet influences everything about you and how you live your life and what you do. We can look to other people and we can learn from other people and for good reasons, but more than anything else, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you've trusted Christ, disciples of Jesus follow Jesus, all right, he becomes our number one priority. And now more than ever in this world, and especially in our country, I think we need to model our lives after Jesus like we never have before. Because here's the thing, we all know people who say they are Christians, but they're not really following Jesus. And they might know plenty about him and what he said, but their biggest concern isn't putting it to practice. Their biggest concern is making sure that someone else is putting it into practice. And some people go to church and they go to church all the time and they call themselves Christians because it doesn't necessarily mean that they are learning from and modeling their lives after Jesus. These disciples that had spent three and a half years with Jesus followed him everywhere. They went into Samaria with him and no faithful Jew wanted anything to do with the Samaria. Samaritans. They followed him into the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be arrested and betrayed, all right? He's going to be crucified. Over 40 times, Jesus issued this command, follow me. Basically, walk as I walk. Pattern your life after mine. He extended this invitation to anyone he came across as he walked on the earth. And you know what? He's still extending that invitation today, all right? These words are just as relevant today. The invitation is for you. It's for you, no matter who you are today. Right, no matter what you've done, it, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how badly you've messed up in your life or what others are saying about you today. You matter to God. And the invitation that Jesus extended 2,000 years ago is available. It's extended to you today as well. Jesus invites you to follow him. All right? He's inviting us to follow him. And what does that look like? Well, practically speaking, we need to know Jesus as best as we can. We need to make him our model. We need to study his life, all right? We need to grow closer to him as we experience things like prayer. We need to study what he taught, all right, and, and what he modeled, his, his methods. Our, our goal as a church is to study Jesus as the perfect model, 
for how we should live our lives every single day, no matter what we're doing, and not just study him so that we know all the answers. You know, if we get invited onto that TV show with Jeff Foxworthy about, you know, all the questions of the Bible for a fourth grader or whatever it's called, but we want to study him, all right, every day so that we become more like him in anything and everything that we do. See, a mature disciple, the one that Jesus had in mind, patterns their life after Jesus. We follow Jesus. We model our lives after his. Let's look at our key verse again. 15.8, Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's focus on the first phrase, all right, that Jesus spoke here. He says, this is to my Father's glory, all right? That makes the next one pretty clear for us. Number two in your notes is this, a mature disciple, all right, not only follow Jesus, but a mature disciple brings glory to God. All right, Jesus said that a disciple's first priority is to give all attention, to give all credit and glory to God. Now, if you watched college football yesterday or late into the night, uh, if you intend on watching football today, chances are you're going to see a lot of touchdowns, a lot of celebrating, and a lot of men who are doing everything to draw every bit of attention uh, onto themselves, all for their glory in his life. Jesus was all about bringing glory to God. In everything that he did, he wasn't trying to draw attention to himself, but rather always drawing attention to God. I mean, just read through the book of John. And time after time, you'll hear Jesus deferring the praise that people were trying to put on him and giving it to his father instead. Let me just quickly go through some of these examples with you. Like in John chapter 5, verse 19, John records that Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son, he's referring to himself, can do nothing. He says, I, I am incapable on my own and by himself. He says, he can, Jesus can only do what he sees his father doing. Verse 30 Jesus said again, by myself, I can do nothing. Basically, it's not my agenda, all right? I am operating by my Father's agenda. He says, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but to please the one who sent me. Uh, over in John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. Do you see the humility? Do you see the dependence on the Father? Do you see him deflecting all of the attention to his Father in heaven? And once when a crowd gathered around Jesus and wanted to kill him, uh, John chapter 10, verse 32, John said, Jesus said to them, uh, he says, I have shown you many good works. He was referring to these miracles here. Look what he said, from the Father. All right, these have come from the Father. They are through the Father. For which of these do you stone me? John chapter 12, verse 49, he again says, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Again, Jesus' mission was to faithfully convey the words of his Father. God instructed Jesus daily in what to say. And then as he got to the end of his life in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to his Father and he says this. He says, I have brought you Again, not for me. Jesus testifies, I'm not living for myself here. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Man, I can't help but read that and wonder, can we do the same today? Like, could we make that our conviction? Could we make that our mission in life today that we wanna live our lives in such a way that all of our, all of our schoolwork, that all of our efforts at sports, that 
all of our efforts at work or raising our children, like instead of drawing attention to ourselves, instead of asking the question, what can I get out of this for myself, can instead we direct all of the attention to God, to our Father in heaven, and do these things for him and for his glory and make ourselves available for how what God wants to use us. I mean, can all of our service, all of our serving, can all of our generosity bring glory to God? The answer is yes. It can. Yes, we can. We can do these things for the Lord. We can go and live our lives and bring glory to God in all that we do. We can give all of the glory to him. So many great examples of this. Uh, one, I, I've enjoyed reading uh, the story of Eric Liddell, uh, the Scottish 100-meter sprinter. And some of you have maybe read his story or seen the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, the story of Eric Liddell, born in 1902. Uh, Liddell qualified for the 1924 Summer Olympics uh, to be hosted in Paris. And a uh, very devout Christian, uh, Liddell refused to run in a heat that was going to be held on a Sunday and was forced to withdraw from the 100-meter race, his very best event. And uh, the schedule for this event had been published months before the Olympics, and so his decision had to be made well before the games. And even under the scrutiny and even with all of the questions, he stood firm and firmly believed that he wasn't supposed to run on a Sunday. And so instead, he spent the preceding months up to the Olympics training for the 400 meters. And though his best event by far was the 100-meter dash, uh, he wasn't bad in the 400 meters, but his time of 49.6 seconds uh, was really pretty modest compared to all of the other athletes from around the world. Well, on the morning of the Olympic 400 meters final, July 11, 1924, uh, Eric Liddell was handed a, a folded square of paper, a gift from one of the team masseurs. And uh, reading it later, he found this message. He says, this, uh, this uh, masseur wrote uh, to Liddell, he wrote on this message, he says, in the old book, and he's referring to the Bible, he's referring to the word of God. He says, in the old book, it says, he that honors me, I will honor. And the man wrote, wishing you the best of success always. And that day, Eric Liddell went on to break not only the Olympic record, but also the world record in the 400-meter dash with a time of 47.6 seconds. And he left the Olympics, and a pretty fascinating part of his story uh, went on as a devoted uh, missionary, follower of Christ, went on to be a missionary in China. He eventually died in a Japanese internment camp in 1945, but he ran to bring glory to God. Like he recognized that God has given me this gift, and I'm going to use it, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to bring glory to God through it so that others might know him. He lived his life, every part of his life for these reasons. And Jesus had every reason to live for himself, but he chose to live his life for his Father in heaven instead. He lived his life to bring glory to God. What about you today? I mean, would others say the same about you and your life right now, that your work or that your sports, or that your efforts at school right now, that the way you use your resources and your possessions, the gifts, the blessings that God has given you, your free time, are you using these things to bring glory to God in all that you do? A mature disciple brings glory to God. One more phrase, back to John 15, 8. Again, Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, what's a mature disciple? Again, a mature disciple is someone who commits their life to following Jesus. A mature disciple is someone who brings glory to God. The last phrase we're gonna focus on today is this one, and that is that you bear much fruit. 
Jesus said. This is the goal. This is the intention that you bear much fruit with your life. See, a mature disciple bears much fruit. And why does Jesus use the analogy of fruit here? What's fruit represent? Well, I want you to consider, if you would, for just a moment, the context of this passage, because up to this point here in John uh, chapter 15, up to verse 8, Jesus has been teaching about how he is the vine, all right, and we're like the branches. And so maybe if you would imagine, there's a really good chance that he was walking through a vineyard, and so he stops with his disciples along the way. He sees a chance to impart on them a visual lesson that they won't, won't leave their minds anytime soon. And so I can picture him looking around at all of these vines in the vineyard and saying something like this, saying, you know, I'm the vine. I'm like the vine, and, and you are the branches. And my father is like the gardener, and any branch that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off, and any branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear even more fruit. But then this, and this is where it gets really good. He says, this is to my father's glory. Again, this is, this is what gets my father's attention, that you bear, what does it say? Much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so he come right out and says this, that there are branches that bear no fruit, all right? There are branches that bear some fruit. There are branches that bear more fruit. And then there are branches, as Jesus calls out, that will bear much fruit. And so four different levels of fruit production. And what's God's desire for us? Well, notice the words. He says it's that we bear much fruit with our lives. And so think about this analogy. Jesus is the vine, all right? And you and I, we're like the branches, all right? The fruit is what we bear. So think about it. You don't, you don't see fruit growing directly on the vine, right? The fruit is produced on the branches. And so it's up to you and me, all right, to bear this fruit in our lives. And Jesus is pretty clear that if we don't stay connected to him, we won't bear any fruit. And so we know that Jesus has an extremely important part to play in the fruit that we bear with our lives, all right? But we've got a part to play in it too, all right? We have to cooperate with Jesus, all right, so that he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish through us. And what's fruit? Well, if you know your Bible, you may immediately think about passages like Galatians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And these are all good things and all a part of what Jesus wants to accomplish in us. But if you skip down to John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus tells us the kind of fruit that he's after. Look at verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Again, you're my disciples, all right? I am intending for you to carry out the work that I started, all right? And this, again, he'll emphasize with the Great Commission. He says, I have appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And so Jesus wants his disciples to bear fruit. He wants you and me. He wants Genesis Church to bear fruit with our lives, fruit that will last. Now, here's the thing. Our staff and others have spent most of the last year studying this, searching the New Testament, really trying to understand what is fruit that will last. And here's what we've done. And here's what we believe the Lord has led us to and is leading our church to. It's this, that we've identified four kinds of fruit that we want to focus on as a church. All right, four goals that we want to go after as followers of Christ. And when I think about these goals, I would say, you know what, this is what I want the Lord to produce in my life. 
All right? When I think about these four goals, I would say, this is what I hope the Lord will produce in my family and in my children. I, I would say, this is what I want the Lord to produce in our church and others who will come to Christ. These are four fundamental areas where we believe that God wants to grow in us, that he wants to produce in us something uh, in ever-increasing measure. All right? Much fruit again. And so, if you want to be my disciple, Jesus is saying, grow in these four areas, and as we grow in these four areas, we're going to better prepare ourselves to reproduce these things in others too. And so to make them easier, we've labeled them the four eyes, and they are just simply this. Uh, these are the four eyes. Again, fruits that we want to grow in. They're identity, intimacy, integrity, and influence. And we're going to spend a week on each of these uh, throughout the course of this series, but I want to just give you a brief overview of them today. The first is this. It's identity. And identity just has everything to do with understanding who you are in Jesus Christ. And so if you've trusted Christ with your life, you're a child of God. Uh, you belong to him. You've been adop adopted by the Father, which means that you have all of the rights of the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that's a great reminder to us. Anytime we get off course in life, knowing your identity will help you remember who you are so that you can get right back on path in your relationship with the Lord. This is our identity in him. And as disciples of Jesus, we want to grow in our identity and our confidence in our identity. And we want to help others grow in their identity in Christ too. The second I is the word intimacy. And intimacy means you have close relationship with God, but also also close relationship with others, with his people. Uh, and so intimacy has everything to do with growing in your relationship with God a little bit more every single day, but it also has to do with our relationships with other followers of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said it like this in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so as you grow as a disciple, you should certainly, we should all grow closer in our relationship with God, but you'll grow closer to his people as well. All right, because Jesus says, that's how you know. That's how you know someone is growing in their relationship with the Lord, and it has everything to do with how they're growing in their relationship with, with others too. He says, that's how the world will know. And so we wanna grow in our identity Right? We want to grow in our intimacy. We want to make disciples who are growing in their identity and growing in this intimacy. The third I is integrity. All right? And integrity means you are developing the character of Jesus, that every day you're taking on more and more the character of Jesus Christ. John said it like this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He says, whoever claims to live in him. He says, whoever claims to be a Christian, to Christ's follower, he says, must live as Jesus lived or walk as Jesus walked. You know, there are all kinds of passages in the New Testament that speak about the transformation of our character and about how God's spirit will lead us and guide us and shape us and convict us. Can I ask you today, is your character growing more and more into that of Christ? Because if he's not changing your life, then there's a really good chance that he's not leading your life. And you're not abiding in him. And so if we're going to bear fruit, we have to stay connected to the vine, which is Jesus. Now, we'll never be perfect, all right, this side of heaven. You and I, we'll, we'll never be perfect in this, all right? But I like the way that one pastor said this. He says, you know, as we're growing, as we're taking on more and more of the character of Christ, you will never be sinless, all right? But we should start sinning less, 
all right, as we grow in him, as we grow in the character of Christ. And so identity, intimacy, and integrity, we want to grow in these. Again, Jesus wants to produce these things in us. The last is influence. And if you were here last week, you might remember that two of our high school students stood on this stage and talked with us about what they're learning and how God is changing them. And as they think about what it means to be a kingdom worker and to intentionally live as a disciple for Jesus in this world, well, he's given them influence, all right? He's given each of us influence. And so he wants to use your influence to reach other people in your life right now to make disciples. And so as you learn your identity and as you're growing in your intimacy with God and others and as you're building your integrity, the thing is that you're going to get more and more opportunities to influence others, to speak into others' lives. And so as you follow Jesus each day, all right, people are going to notice They're going to notice that there's something different about you. They're going to notice that you live for something greater. And so as they get to know you and you know them, you're going to have an opportunity to point them to Jesus and maybe lead them to Christ and hopefully help them grow in their relationship in Christ. And so Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples, but not just any disciple, but to shoot for mature disciples, mature disciples that bear fruit that lasts. And that's what we're going to go after as a church. And what we want to make and what we want to see God do through us, produce in us to make disciples of others. And so why are we spending seven weeks on this? Seven weeks talking about how this applies to our lives? Well, we will reproduce what we are. And so we want to become four-eyed disciples so that we can make four-eyed disciples. And when I say that, I'm not talking about like people who wear glasses, like four eyes uh, or whatever, but, but disciples who are growing in these four eyes, disciples who know their identity in Jesus Christ, disciples who are experiencing intimacy with God and with other people, disciples with integrity, not just skin deep, but all the way to the core of who they are, taking on the character of Christ and disciples with influence. And so the four eyes, that's what we're aiming for. Uh, So we want to build our ministry around as a church. This is the fruit that we want God to produce in us so that we can reproduce it in other. Now, are these four things it? Well, we could probably come up with a list of 20 I's or we might have to change the letter and use something else. But I just want you to see these as four fundamentals. Like, consider this. Think of it like basketball. You know, there are all kinds of coaches who teach all kinds of things and different offenses and different defenses. But in basketball, all right, you're always going to come back to the importance of learning to dribble, all right, learning to shoot, learning to pass, and making sure that you rebound, rebound appropriately. And if you do these things and if you practice these things, you're going to be successful as a team and as an individual most of the time. And so are there other things to learn and master as a follower of Jesus? Of course, But think of these four eyes as the fundamentals of what we want to go after, things that we want to aim for, all right? And if we do it together, we may have the potential of not only seeing hundreds come to Christ, but maybe thousands finding their way back to God through Genesis Church. And so identity, intimacy, integrity, and influence, we want to grow in these things, but think process, all right? These things take time. I mean, growing in Christ is about a process. There's a process of moving towards maturity. I mean, the New Testament talks about it. The Apostle Paul was honest about this with his own life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, it was Paul that said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And I think that's just a great reminder to us that when you first submit your life to Jesus, you don't have to have it all figured out, right? It's going to be messy, 
And it's going to be a little chaotic at, at times. And no one is expected to master these four eyes and anything that Jesus spoke about in a day. But as you abide in Jesus, as you stay connected to the vine, as you study the scriptures and learn to pray and learn to obey and follow the Spirit and learn to discern the voice of God, well, that's when we begin to see growth and we begin to see maturity. And that's what Jesus wants for us, to grow and to mature so that we can help others come to Christ and grow and mature in Christ. And why does it matter? And what difference does it make? Well, here's what it means to me. Thinking about the words of the Apostle Peter, and I want you to pay special attention to the fact that he's talking to Christians here. He's talking to people who have already trusted Christ, meaning they're forgiven. All right, their eternity has been established. They will be in heaven with the Lord one day. But I want you to see the challenge he gives to them in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, before we close. He says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to per perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. And then notice what he says here, and these are direct words. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, basically if you're growing, if you're maturing in your faith, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter basically says that for some people, again, he's just talking to Christians here, all right? So this isn't about salvation. This isn't about losing it or how you get to God or anything like that. This isn't about earning your way to heaven because we can't do that. Peter is writing under the assumption that each person here has trusted Christ and received salvation. But note what he says. Some Christians are going to stand before the Lord one day and will be found ineffective and unproductive in their knowledge of him. And I don't know about you, but that's one thing that I want Jesus to never have to say about me, that I was ineffective or unproductive. And Peter goes on to say in the next couple of verses, he says, and so now make every effort to confirm your calling. And if you do, you will receive a warm welcome into the kingdom of God. Genesis, let's be sure that none of us is found ineffective or unproductive on the day that Jesus returns, but let us instead make it our desire and our commitment and maybe your decision even today to grow into the disciple that Jesus had in mind, to bear much fruit with your life, with all of the glory going to God, our Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we just make that our prayer, those words of Jesus, even today, we don't want to be found ineffective or unproductive. And so we pray, Lord. We pray, Father, we make it our heart's desire today to say, Father, that we want you to bear much fruit in us for your glory, Lord. We want to show, we want to live our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would let today be the beginning or the continuation of some amazing things that you want to do in my life and in our lives and in our church. Father, we want to be found faithful and obedient. We want to grow in our faith as mature disciples and we want to lead other Christ, others to Christ. We want others to find their way back to God through us and through Genesis Church and all for your glory, Lord. And it's in your name we pray.
Hey, will you stand uh, with me? You know, so many times uh, we allow our faith to stop at our beliefs. And so with this series, you know, again, we're talking a lot about living these things out, all right? All for the glory of God, showing others that we live for Jesus, that we live for someone greater. Well, this morning we want to end with a song that highlights the beliefs, highlights the foundation of everything that we are and everything that we can stand on as followers of Christ and what Jesus has done for us and what we want to see Jesus do and produce and others too. This might be a new song for some of you. I think you'll catch on quickly. Let's close and make this our prayer together today.
believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For continue on uh, in the next few weeks in this series. We just want to encourage you to keep coming back, keep showing up. Um, the Lord is doing such a cool work in the hearts of our church, and uh, we're just so thankful. And so, Lord, even as we close today, we just say thank you. Thank you to how you're revealing yourself to us. Would you continue to grow us and teach us to walk as Jesus walked? It's in your name we pray. Amen.